Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an ambassador, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my my child Onesimus, whose father I have become in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own free will. Perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I caught an interview this past week with Tom Hanks and Gail King on CBS Good Morning News. And in it, Tom Hanks is reflecting on the terrible shooting that took place there at the synagogue in Pittsburgh. Because he'd been spending a lot of time in Pittsburgh himself lately, because that's where they were shooting the new film, You Are My Neighbor, the story of Fred Rogers and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. So he'd been spending a lot of time there in Pittsburgh, and he would drive by almost daily the Tree of Life Synagogue there in Pittsburgh, because that was the neighborhood where Fred Rogers grew up. And he always thought, what a great name for a synagogue, the Tree of Life Synagogue. And then to see this terrible tragedy. And now that he's working on this film with Mr. Rogers, he said he started thinking, What would Fred Rogers say right now to the children? Because, you know, Fred Rogers always addressed the major tragedies in our world. That's what he did on his show. I mean, he addressed things like the assassination of Bobby Kennedy. He addressed the Vietnam War. He addressed the Challenger disaster. Whatever it was, he was there to try to to try to deal with the children because he knew if we and I were dealing with these struggles children and their feelings were dealing with it, what do you tell them to do? And so Fred was, I mean, so Tom was thinking, what would Fred Rogers be saying to the children right now? And it hit him very quickly. He would say to them, look to the helpers. Look to the helpers. You're not alone. You don't have to be afraid. Look to the helpers. Because Fred Rogers believed that in the midst of tragedy, there were always helpers who would come. 
the people who had an incredible love and compassion for others, they would always step forward and come look to the helpers. And sure enough, what we saw there in Pittsburgh was the people, the helpers who would come to help stop the shooting at the synagogue, who would care for the people who had been wounded or were dying, the people who had been stepping forward to bring comfort and care to all of those who have been affected this last week. There have been those people who are the helpers who have come forward. Tom said he loved a sign that he saw there in Pittsburgh from a church. Because right in front of the church it said, Love thy neighbor, no exceptions. And it's the people who love thy neighbor, no exceptions, who become the helpers. They are the ones who step up to care. Because what they know is what they do matters. I was thinking a lot about that this past week the tragedy, and and thinking about Fred Rogers. I was preparing for all this because this last Thursday, we started shooting our movie for the all-church Christmas party. Now, if you've been a part of this church for very long, you know that every year we have an all-church Christmas party. First Sunday in December, we'll be up in Edmond. Second Sunday, we'll be downtown. We conduct a little business but we celebrate so much what all God has done in our family of faith and and then talk about where we're going. And so we shoot a movie in order to have some fun and give a story about this past year. So this last Thursday, we were beginning to shoot our movie for the all-church Christmas party. And this year, the name of the movie is Mr. Long's Neighborhood. So I'm going to be blessed. I get to play a character a whole lot like Fred Rogers. But it has been rumored that in the movie, I may even get to meet Fred Rogers face to face. You'll have to come see it to understand. But we started working on the movie and I was shooting this Thursday morning. And then Thursday around lunch, the entire executive team, we had a meeting with Jessica Moffat and her executive team from over at First Methodist Church in Tulsa. They came over for a few hours just so we could all kind of visit and talk about what are you doing, what are we doing, just trying to learn from one another. So I was up in the boardroom talking with Jessica, and I just had come running up from the shooting and saying, you know, we're having a great time. We're working on Mr. Long's neighborhood. We're thinking all about Fred Rogers and celebrating the 50th anniversary of his show. And then she says, you know, Bob, When I graduated, I got a scholarship in music, full ride scholarship. I moved out of state and I I managed, I had to go get an accompanist to help work with me. And I, I found a lady named Joanne. She was a wonderful lady. She worked with me for a year and a half. I went every week to her home to rehearse and to practice and she worked with me. It was about a year and a half after I'd been there. One day she said, I'm so sorry. My husband can't find his glasses. Would you mind if he came in here and looked around for a moment and interrupted us? I'm really sorry. Jessica said, no, no, that's fine, that's fine. And she said, suddenly the door opened and there stood Mr. Rogers. Suddenly I thought, Joanne Rogers. Fred Rogers. I'd asked her a year and a half ago, what does your husband do? She said, oh, he works in television. 
She said, I'd never put the two together. Joe and Rogers, I'm in Mr. Rogers' home. And I'm going, you're kidding me. You know Fred Rogers? You actually knew Mr. Rogers? Yep, yep, I sure did. And she said, after that, I got to know Fred and Joanne a lot better. Said, we started doing things together. And she said, I went out with them. And she said, I'll never forget one day we were out in Pittsburgh. We were no, out in the, our neighborhood and we we're going down an elevator. And we'd gone down a floor and a man stepped on the elevator. And he realized, it's Mr. Rogers. How are you, Mr. Rogers? I'm fine. How are you doing? Well, really, not so good. Said the elevator got down to the first floor. It opened up. We all headed on off to the car. We turned around. There was no Fred. We looked back. There he was still standing there with this guy talking to him. The person you saw on TV, well, that's the person he was all the time. He really cared about other people and their feelings. It's like he knew what he did mattered. This morning, I want to continue on with the sermon series, What You Do Matters. Individually, you and I have the ability and the responsibility to let God use us as His hands to share His love and bring hope in the world. What you do matters. I think that's what our scripture lesson really was about today and what I think is one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible. It's Paul's letter to Philemon, and it is incredibly short. You can go home and read all of Paul's letter to Philemon, 25 verses, one chapter. That's it, half a page. It's the only really personal letter we have from Paul. Now, we have Paul's letter to Timothy and to Titus, but those letters deal with church structure and all kinds of other things. No, this truly is a personal letter from Paul to Philemon dealing with one subject, which was a runaway slave named Onesimus. Now, the best we can understand the story, Paul had been there in Colossae. He had been there and he had helped to start a church in Philemon's home. Now, we don't know if Onesimus was kind of on the outskirts watching what was happening or if Paul ever had gotten to know Onesimus. But Paul, of course, moved on as he always did. Thessalonica, Ephesus, you name it. Traveling around. Finally, he was put into prison in Rome under house arrest. And there was a time when he still could have some circulation, but he couldn't travel. He was under arrest. So he's in Rome. Back in Colossae, Colossae, you had Philemon and Onesimus, and Onesimus decides to run away. Now, if you're going to travel all the way from there to Rome, you're going to need money, and slaves didn't have money. So all we can assume is that Onesimus stole from Philemon. He got some money, he made the journey all the way to Rome. And when he got to Rome, well, he found Paul. And he began working with Paul and listening to Paul and participating with this early Christian community so that he became very important to Paul. But finally his own conscience got to bothering him and Onesimus finally have admitted to Paul, I ran away. 
I ran away from Philemon. And Paul said, you got to go back. You got to go back and make it right with Philemon if you're ever going to go forward. But to send him back was very dangerous because in those days, a master completely controlled a slave's life. And if you were a runaway slave, usually you got put to death. If you were caught, they wanted to make a statement. Best case scenario is they would brand your head with an F, fugitive. Now, sending Onesimus back was incredibly dangerous. And so Paul wrote a letter to Philemon and said, Onesimus, take this with you. And the letter basically says, Philemon, Onesimus has been gone from you. He's not been useful to you, though he has been useful to me, and he's been useful to the Lord. Now that's a play on words, because the word Onesimus means useful. It's not a name you give to a free person, it's a name you give to a slave. So he's making a play. Onesimus has been very useful to me, hadn't been useful to you, but he's been useful to the Lord. I'm sending him back to you. And he begins asking, you know, if he, if he owes you anything, another way of saying, if he stole from you, if he owes you anything, charge it to my account. I mean, after all, I am the one who brought you the message of salvation and helped you find Christ and get you salvation forever. That's not a big deal. Don't, don't worry about that now. No, charge it to my account if he took anything, if he owes you anything. He asked him to be gracious, to be forgiving. Now, we don't know what happened. We don't know what the reunion was like. All we can do is surmise. But there's lots of reasons for us to surmise what did happen. We think when Onesimus got back, obviously Philemon did show mercy. Because we know that in the early church, there becomes the bishop of Ephesus named Onesimus. And Onesimus is not the name you give to a free person. It's for a slave. So most scholars believe that the bishop of Ephesus is the slave who ran away from Philemon, who found Paul, who was sent back home. And Philemon obviously must have forgiven him, encouraged him. And even set him free to treat him like a brother. Now let me tell you, when you read this story, it's a great sermon on Onesimus. Confront your past. Don't be controlled by your past. Experience the gift of God's grace. What God can do with you in the future regardless of the mistakes in the past. Onesimus is a great sermon. But that's not the one I want to preach today. The one I want to preach today is Philemon. Because you don't have the story of Onesimus without Philemon. Without the one who was willing to forgive, to encourage, to set him free. It's because of Philemon that we have Bishop Onesimus and all that he would mean to the church. I believe God has called you and me to be the Philemons of the world. The people who chose to love thy neighbor, no exceptions. The people who choose to share God's love and bring hope to the world. When you and I do that, we help to change this world. What you do 
matters. It's what I want us to think about this morning. And I, I want to think about what Paul said to Philemon that encouraged him to be the person he was. And I think there's three important things to hear. First of all, Paul would say, I want your goodness to be of your own free will. I want your goodness to be of your own free will. Paul said, you know, I could command you. The Apostle Paul, the one who started the church. You know, I could command you, but I don't want to do that. I want your goodness to be of your own free will. Something you choose to do out of gratitude for the gift of God's love and grace in your life. I'm not going to command you. I want your goodness to be of your own free will. I saw a story recently, and you may have seen it because it just happened, about a young man named Dalton Schaefer. He actually works at Steve's Pizza in Battle Creek, Michigan. Well, what happened there, there was a couple, Rich and Julie Morgan. They had grown up in Battle Creek. They lived there as a young couple when they got married. They were poor like most young couples, didn't make a lot of money. But every time they had their paycheck, that day they went to go to Steve's and have pizza. It was the best pizza they had ever found anywhere. They loved it, always would go to Steve's. Well, as life has it, you know, you get moved around to other places. And whenever they'd settle in a new town, they would always look for the new pizza place. And they found some that they thought were good but never quite as good as Steve's. It was the gold standard. Everything was judged by Steve's. Well, 25 years went by. Their kids grew up. They were gone. They settled in Indianapolis. And just a couple of weeks ago, they wanted to take a weekend and go back to Battle Creek and go see the leaves changing. And they wanted to go to Steve's. Hadn't been there in years. Wanted to go back to Steve's. And right before that weekend, Rich had an episode that landed him in the ER and they discovered that his cancer was back and that the battle was almost over. He was in ICU, got a little better. They were able to send him home on hospice. There would be no more trips. They began to spend the time that they had reminiscing and sharing it was Julie's dad, Dave, who one evening called Steve's Pizza. And he got a hold of Dalton. Dalton's 18 years old. He's one of the chefs. And he said, is there any way that you guys could send a card to my family? He told them about what was going on and how they felt. He said, do you think y'all could send a card or a text? I think it would so make them smile and mean so much to them. And Dalton said, what's their favorite toppings? He told them. And he said, well, I got to close tonight at 10 o'clock. I'm the one who's here to close up. When I close up at 10 o'clock, I'll then deliver a couple pizzas. Battle Creek, Michigan and Indianapolis. It was three and a half hour drive one way. And David said, no, 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 I'm not asking for that. I know. Sure enough, when he finally closed up, he cooked the pizzas, grabbed several pizzas, jumped in the car, and drove all the way to Indianapolis and got there at about 2.30 in the morning. 
Dave was up and so was the family. He delivered the pizzas. Everybody's hugging his neck. And they said, can we put you up? Can we get you a hotel? No, no, I got to head back. I I got another job that starts at 7 o'clock in the morning. And so he headed home. And, And Julie would post and say, the incredible act of kindness meant more to my family than we would ever be able to express. What it meant to us in these difficult moments. To say thank you seems so inadequate, but from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Well, needless to say, since she posted that, it got picked up and Dalton's back home and soon... The local newspaper has come out to interview him about why did you do this and do you do this often? And he went, no, you know, just kind of shrugged it off. His mother was there and said, the answer is yes. Absolutely. He does this kind of stuff all the time. He has always been compassionate. He's somebody who just loves his neighbor. No exceptions. When you choose to share God's love and bring hope in the world, when you choose to share your goodness of your own free will, not because you're required, not because somebody's making you, when you choose to show goodness of your own free will, then what you do matters. Secondly, Paul writes to Philemon and says, I know that you will do more than I say. Now, Paul, if you read the letter to Philemon, never says, will you set Onesimus free? Never ask him to do that. It's almost kind of like that's going to go too far in the social expectations. He never asked that. He says, will you love him? Will you forgive him? Will you care? But then he adds right towards the end in the 21st verse, I know you'll do more than I say. To do more than is required. To do more than is asked out of you. Because you're giving out of your own free will. To share your love, to bless life, to love your neighbor. No exceptions. It matters. You know, having talked to Jessica and and about Fred Rogers and what happened on the elevator, it made me think about a story that the Reverend Wendy Lambert told me a couple months ago. And as we were doing research about Fred Rogers, getting ready for doing the filming of our movie, and it was about a a young man named Anthony Bresnias. Anthony grew up in Pittsburgh, where Fred Rogers was growing up and living, but he, he grew up there. And of course, as a child, he watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And his upbringing wasn't always an easy one, so the show meant so much to him. Well, of course, you grow up, you don't keep watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He grew up, he went off to Pitt, went to the university there. And so often when you're in college, it isn't always easy. You go through struggles, and he went through his struggles, and life got hard. And he found himself kind of living in a black cloud, 
And one day he was coming down from his dorm room and he was just really all angry and he was going by the common area. Nobody was there, but the TV was on. And what he starts to hear is, what a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Won't you be mine? Won't you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? And he just stopped. And he looked over and Mr. Rogers said, so what do you do with your mad when you're feeling so angry? And he just stood there and listened to Mr. Rogers talk. And it just took him back to when he was a child and all those things he had learned and the things that he thought. He said it was like somebody was putting a hand on his shoulder. And he listened to what he was saying. And when he went out, he kept thinking about what Mr. Rogers would say. The next couple days, he moved back more towards the center, thinking And then, one afternoon, he was out and he got onto an elevator. And when he got onto the elevator, who was there but Fred Rogers? And it's like, what do you say? I mean, Fred Rogers is there. He didn't say a word. He didn't know what to say. The elevator went all the way down, got to the first floor. Doors opened up. Fred held out his hand. Anthony walked out and he got out a little bit and he stopped and turned around and said, Mr. Rogers, I just have to say thank you. Thank you for the way that you have blessed my life. And Fred said, did you grow up as one of my neighbors? Yes. Yes, I did. Well, good to see you again, neighbor. And Fred threw open his arms and hugged Anthony. And then Anthony said, I looked at him. He had his scarf on. He had his coat. He he was all ready to go. And I said, you know, I'm really struggling right now. And I just have to say thank you for the way you've helped me. And he said, Fred walked over to the window, took off his scarf, sat down his satchel, motioned to him and said, would you like to tell me about it? And Anthony thought, he doesn't need to do that. But he found himself suddenly saying, yeah, my grandfather just died. He was like my father. I can't tell you the grief I feel, the anger I feel, the hurt I feel. I miss my grandfather. And so the two of them started talking about life and death and how you carry people with you the rest of your lives. They spent some time talking and finally, Anthony said, I'm so sorry. I mean, here I've taken your time and I'm making you late for some appointment. Thank you for taking the time. You didn't have to do that. And Fred stood up and he put his muffler back around his neck and got his satchel, looked at him and simply said, sometimes you're in the right place. And he left. Well, let me tell you, you're in the right place wherever you are. God can use you. If you are willing to show your kindness of your own free will, to do more than is required of you, you're in the right place. God will open your heart and your eyes so that you can see. So that you can share God's love and bring hope to those who are hurting. 
what you do matters. And finally, the third thing. When Paul writes to Philemon, he begins the letter by saying, I know of your love and your faith in the Lord. I know of your love. Philemon had made that decision. Paul knew it early on. He started a church in his home. Philemon had made the decision that the guiding principle in his life was to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor, no exceptions. And so Paul was able to say to him, I want you to receive Onesimus, your slave, back as a brother. Because Paul would write to the Galatians and say, There is no Jew nor Greek, no male nor female, no slave nor free. We are one in Christ. Philemon, I hear of your love and your faith in the Lord. It's because he had made the decision that love was going to be the fundamental principle in his life that he would wind up treating people differently. And it's why he would not only forgive, encourage, but set Onesimus free to go out and be that person that God could have him to be. And that's what I see out of you and me. That we are the people that God can use. That you are in that right place If the foundation of your life is love, to love your neighbor, no exceptions. You love your neighbor, and God's going to use you. What you do matters. You know, I I don't know why, but just just here recently, I I got to thinking about Bruno Serrato. I, I told his story about seven years ago. I actually went back and tried to look it up. I told it seven years ago. Bruno Serrato, I I just started thinking about him. Had no idea what had gone on with his life. But if you remember, Bruno Serrato, 35 years ago, he came from Italy to Southern California. He was a young man. He came with $200 in his pocket, and he spoke Italian. He did not speak any English. He came to live with his aunt, who lived in Southern California. And so while he was there, he learned how to speak some English. She got a job at a restaurant, and there he became a busboy, and then a waiter, and then a maitre d', and then he became the general manager. That's in five years. He kept saving his money that he was making, living with his, his aunt, and after seven years, he was able to buy an old white house, this wonderful old building, and he opened up an Italian steakhouse. And it became a huge hit, very high-end, upscale. The one thing his mother had taught him back in Italy, how to cook. He knew how to cook. And I mean he cooked, and it was delicious. And it became the end place to go there in Anaheim, California. And so his mother came to the United States to see Bruno, to see her sister. And he was so very proud because he knew his mother had some values, and one of them was to take care of children. She had taken care of her seven. She needed to take care of children. So Bruno took her down to the boy and girls club and said, See, I'm helping to raise money. I'm raising money to help the boys and girls clubs here in Anaheim. And his mother was there, but she saw his kid over in the corner. He's eating a bag of potato chips. She went over to talk to him, and he explained to her, Yeah, this is what I'm having for dinner. It's all that we have. She came back to Bruno and said, you need to feed that boy. I, I don't know who that is, Mama. You need to feed him. You have a restaurant, feed him. 
So he started learning more about the boy and he learned he was a motel kid. That what had happened there in Southern California was you had had all these businesses and Disney World land and all these things spring up and it became very affluent, but you had so many people in the service industry who were barely making it by and they didn't have money for an apartment. They didn't have money for a home. What they had was enough money to rent an old hotel room for one night. And so they could rent it for one night, and then if they had enough money, they rented it for another night and another night. It was one night at a time, one room at a time for a family, but you weren't homeless. But quite often you didn't have enough to eat. They were motel kids. And, and so he, he said, all right, maybe I can do something. He went back to his restaurant. And that night they're going to cook up a bunch more pasta. We'll cook up pasta and some sauces. And then they took it over to the motel. And the kids loved the pasta. They fed 70 kids at the motel. And they started doing that every night. Night after night after night. And then the crash of 2008 came. Business went down at his restaurant. And the need for food went up for children. He had to mortgage his home to keep the business going and to keep feeding the children. And now he was feeding 200 children. A hundred at one hotel, a hundred at another hotel. He called this ministry Katarina's Club. That was his mother's name. It's Katarina's Club as we're feeding all these motel kids pasta. Well, that's where I left the story. And I got to wondering, I wonder if Katarina's Club is still going on. I, I wonder if this thing is still happening. And so I went and researched and, oh my, oh my. By 2017, they had gone from serving 200 kids pasta to serving 2,000 kids pasta every day out of his restaurant. The helpers had come. People who loved their neighbor, no exceptions, had started coming and giving. And Katarina's club was doing more than ever before out of his restaurant. 2,000 children a day being fed. And then on February the 4th, 2017, he got a call in the middle of the night. The restaurant was on fire. The building was over 100 years old. He rushed down there to see these flames leaping in the air. Sixty firefighters were there, and he watched his whole restaurant burn to the ground, losing everything. He lost it all. And he said he stood there and he cried and cried and cried. The next day, the firefighters were saying, can we help you sift through the rubble? Is there anything that you might want to try to find? And he said, well, I, I'd received a letter and a rosary from Pope Francis honoring him for the work he was doing with the children and the poor. He said, that means so much to me. And so the firefighter spread out over 5,000s of ash and rubble along with his niece. And they're looking down into all these ashes. And his niece finds the rosary, the crucifix. Some of the beads had burned, but the crucifix was still perfectly fine. And Bruno said as he held that crucifix, he thought how much Jesus has suffered for humanity. And he thought, 
what I'm going through, it's not so bad. How am I going to feed the children? He changed from thinking about how do I survive? How do I feed the children come Monday? He is a very strong Catholic, a man of great faith and very involved. And it was the archdiocese there in Orange County who stepped forward and they said, why don't you come to Christ Cathedral and use our kitchen? Now, I didn't know until I started researching this story just a couple days ago that Robert Schuller's Crystal Cathedral had been sold to the Catholic Church. And that the Catholic Church is renovating the inside of the Crystal Cathedral to look more Catholic for their worship. The outside will stay the same, but they're renovating the inside and it should be done in 2019. But they have a huge kitchen and so many events that go on there. And they said, why don't you use the kitchen and you can be the exclusive caterer for all these events for as long as you need till your restaurant's up and going again. That way you have money coming in and you can use the restaurant to feed the children for as long as you need. For free. And Bruno Serrato said it was like a gift from heaven to be able to suddenly have a job, a kitchen, to where there was income coming in as he's trying to rebuild his restaurant and to keep feeding the children. And it was May of this year, just a couple months ago, that he reopened this restaurant, this Italian steakhouse there in Anaheim, to great fanfare. But the fascinating thing is, Katerina's Club which had gotten to where it was feeding 2,000 children a day pasta in 17. Today, it's feeding 4,000. Out of the ashes of disaster, so many people heard and came. The helpers came and said, we want to be a part. And now they feed 4,000 children in 62 locations throughout Orange County and Los Angeles County. Because Bruno Serrato loved the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength and loved his neighbor. No exceptions. I believe God can use you and me if the foundation of our life is a commitment to love our neighbor. No exceptions. If you and I out of our, will give of our generosity, of our free will, we give of ourselves, of our free will, more than is required of us, God will use us to share His love and bring hope in the world. What you do matters. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.
Amen.